Welcome to this week's Football and More podcast. In case you have been living under a rock or you've just been ignoring my podcast, we changed the name. No longer the Hammer Time podcast. I decided to switch it up. Moving into the new year, I'm your host, Ethan Hammerman, talking about Football and More every single week. And there's a lot to talk about this week. And uh, I may have made a terrible mistake with my guest this week, but I happen to think that he's pretty awesome. So I think that this is going to be a really, really good show. He is a contributor to Big Cat Country. He also has his own podcast along with a couple of other Jaguars fans. The Keep Chopping Wood podcast, also on BigCatCountry.com. It's Hank Jones, at Hank Jones on Twitter. Yeah, thanks for having me. It is uh, absolutely a mistake, so you're right on on that one. But uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I mean, you are by far the funniest person on that podcast, though. Anytime you say anything, everyone just starts laughing. It's the best. (laughs) Appreciate it. I'm, I'm much better online than I am in real life. If, if you follow me, you would know that. <laughs> <laughs> but my personal favorite segment that you did on that podcast, we're going to start talking about the Jaguars because this team is really interesting to me. I can't remember a team where there was so much optimism uh, by so many different people because that was a bad division. Everyone thought that all the signings the Jaguars made was so good. And then you just spent a segment a couple of weeks ago talking about which backup quarterbacks are better than Blake Bortles. And you pretty much named every single backup quarterback in the NFL. So, to start, I guess, first of all, how did you really become involved as a football fan? And then what are your thoughts on your Jaguars? Well, I've been, like, in in football all my life. Like, I have, uh, I've been playing since I was younger. I my entire family really from my cousins to my dad grandfathers siblings they've all been playing i have several family members who are coaches and my entire family is really from the jacksonville area of florida so they were all here when the jaguars got brought over to uh you know jacksonville in 96 and they were uh, a lot of my family members were season ticket members like in that first season and onward so i was kind of born into the jaguars and i i was I was always a fan of them growing up, and then just at one point in uh, high school, I started reading uh, SB Nation, because it was one of the the few places that had an exclusive, like, Jaguars blog, and I ended up making a Twitter, following them, talking to uh, Alfie Crow, who was their editor. Uh, Me and him ended up talking more. I got over to Big Cat Country and started writing for them. I became close with Ryan Day on Twitter, if you follow follow him. He's the current editor of Big Cat Country. Uh, Eric Stoner, me and him, have known each other for a couple years. And then just, like, from there, 
Twitter just kind of built up. I, uh, I'm in college right now, and I've actually started my actual career in the last year or so, so I've stepped back from writing as much, but I'm still on Twitter. Which is really exciting, uh, for sure. And I like all the big cat country people. You're all good people, so it definitely yeah, no. is a – everyone there on that site is super chill and super nice. And I know that patience can be a little bit trying because there were times of real optimism. It seems like every off season we see more and more optimism for the Jaguars. Uh, I remember watching the draft with Eric Stoner last year in person in L.A. And we were there when the Jaguars picked Jalen Ramsey. And there was a lot of excitement. And then Miles Jack the next day, I mean, two of the top ten players. And then every year it seems like it just <laughs> – you just find new ways to lose. And yeah. I, I guess Gus Bradley is now fired and we're going to talk about Gus in a little bit more detail, but why do you think this just keeps on happening to the Jaguars? Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I really think, you know, people will say foolish things like, oh, okay, you know, like it's a Jaguar thing. They're cursed, like stuff like that. Like people around Jackson will kind of talk like about them. Like people talk about Cleveland at this point, but it's really, like this year specifically, I think it was just an organizational failure from top to bottom in terms of gassing yourself up and not realizing like you put expectations on yourself, but you thought you had already met those expectations. You know what I mean? I get what you mean, but at the same time, you know, I've done a little bit of research into this, but generally it seems like most teams, even in the most diary building efforts, are able to turn things around in three to four years. And yeah. normally after year three, if you're not seeing a playoff type performance from a certain team, that's a sign that that team is not going to be improving any more than that and you should get rid of that coach. Uh, there are some weird cases otherwise, but with Gus Bradley, I mean, I was shocked he didn't get fired last year. Yeah, yeah, no, I think if you ask anybody who's really following the situation, everybody thought last year was the time to fire him. And if you fire him last year, that job looks so much more appealing than it does right now. Because, you, yeah, you're coming off a 5-11 season, but it's a 5 and, but it's more promising of a losing season than this losing season is. You know, like the offense looked good, and you look like you're a defense away from being a function, functional team. And now at this point, now they finally fired him, and the offense is in shambles. Last year, Bortles looked like he took a right step in development, and now a year later it looks like he was a miss. And there's several other, like Allen Robinson, for example. Last year, everybody's talking him up as the next top five receiver, and then this year he's been absolutely horrible. And you have to wonder how much of that is an actual physical regression as opposed to just either mentality yeah. or just bad coaching. I mean, what have you seen in terms of the offensive coaching this year? Yeah, I mean, when I mentioned the uh, organizational failure of, like, thinking you met expectations, it's mainly on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, general manager Dave Caldwell even, like, said, like, the biggest mistake they made was thinking, like, they didn't need to make any more improvements to the offense. Like, they thought the offense was going to carry over. And you had several players on offense who have said this year, like, they thought they were going to take the lead by storm and nobody would be able to stop them. And basically they thought they didn't have to take any more steps, and they were there. And that's where I think the regressions came from. It's mentally because they got punched in the mouth by Green Bay week one, specifically Allen Robinson did, and then they got boat raced week two. And it's just a team that from the leadership top to bottom, they don't know how to handle adversity, and mentally they just kind of snowballed. And a common theme in Gus Bradley's tenure was once things were snowballing, they had no idea how to stop it from getting worse. Yeah, I, I think that that 
uh, totally makes sense. It's still just so strange to me. And you mentioned Robinson. I know Marquise Lee has probably been your team's best offensive player this year. Um, his regression, though, is so strange because you did see him making those physical catches in the preseason. You saw him making them last year. Is it partially because Boros has regressed so badly, or is it also just because Robinson's not playing as physically? Okay, well, that's the thing Like a lot of people have been debating this year, and mainly fantasy Twitter. And I don't have anything against, like, fantasy Twitter. Like, I'll play fantasy football, but a lot of times they look more at a situation and they don't look at what's really happening. They just think of, like, a logical explanation for it. So you think, you see Blake Bortles having a terrible year and you see Allen Robinson's numbers go down. You would theorize, okay, Blake Bortles is hurting Allen Robinson. When you go back and watch the games, it's a case of each player is playing bad independent of each other and then you get them uh, like they're out of sync so when they try to get on a connection with each other it just magnifies the issue and it makes it worse Allen specifically I think is more of a mental thing as with Blake he, he physically has broken down this year mechanic wise and mentally he is still having trouble reading defenses but physically I think Allen Robinson he has still showed some of the flashes that he did last year like he'll still make a crazy catch every week or so but mentally you can just tell he is completely out of it like he, he throws tem- temper tantrums when he drops passes and he is dropping a lot. He uh, He's not batting with the cornerbacks as physically as he would have last year. And he even made a point to himself that he said after a game, I think two weeks ago, that he needs to be more physical because he's not getting any calls. And it, it kind of shows you his mindset this year was, I've already res- revi- arrived as a top receiver. I'm going to get these passing appearance calls. And he, he hasn't been getting passing appearance called most receivers. You know, you have to be physical and fight with a defensive back to get over that. That's something he hasn't done. So hit, I think Robinson has been clearly just a mental issue, but anybody that says he's suffering because of Bortles, that's partially true. But Robinson himself specifically has been really struggling this year. And, and Bortles, I don't remember if it was you or it might have been uh, somebody else. It might have been Kian Fahey, actually. Um, but... Someone posted a GIF of his mechanics and how far he's winding up before he throws the ball. And what's going on? Is it just because when I watch Bortles in college, and you're at Golden Knight, you go to UCF, so uh, you you definitely have seen a lot of them. Um, And you've seen a lot of Mackenzie Milton this year, who is an awful quarterback. Um, I I mean, what do you think about... His is it just a mental thing? Is it just that he got hit a lot and now he's scared to to throw the ball? Like, what's going on with him? Okay, like the thing with him is even like dating back to UCF, he's never had clean mechanics. And the thing like you can really point to is at this point, it's just more of a he doesn't like feel natural throwing it the right way. As terrible as that sounds, but there's been I think two different games this year where you know like before every game the uh, broadcast booth will meet with players to get interviews and quotes and stuff. There's been two separate times this year, two separate broadcast teams have said that Blake Bortles told them in person that he is not a natural thrower of the football. And that should just throw up every major red flag possible because that just tells you right there that he needs to tweak himself almost year round just to make his mechanics not go to hell. Now, the big difference with his mechanics this year compared to last year is last year they did look a lot better. Like, he still had some trouble with his feet, but the windup wasn't there. He got rid of the ball a lot quicker. He, he wasn't as elongated. But the difference is last offseason, you know, every, he went out to California and worked with Tom House for a, a few months, I think. And 
this offseason, after last season ended, he said he's going to go out there some, but he's not going to go as much as he did last year. So I think he's the prime example of thinking you arrived after 5-11. Because what he did was he came off a season where he threw 35 touchdowns, and but the team only won five games. And he thought, okay, I don't need to work on my craft anymore. I don't need to improve anymore because I've arrived. Now we just need the other side of the ball to arrive. So he didn't work on his craft and his mechanics were just basically done after the first week or so. And they've snowballed ever since. A super super interesting and insightful. And I think that's very true. I mean, you look at guys like Tom Brady and even Jimmy Garoppolo, who spent every offseason just like working with all of the quarterback coaches and making sure his mechanics were perfect. And Bortles clearly hasn't done that. And that's part of the issue because consistency is all that matters in that position. Yeah, I, I think like the big thing is just like with you know body mechanics is just rep after rep, and I, eventually though in an NFL game you're just kind of gonna come back to what's natural, and if your natural mechanics are just completely like out of it like his are, then it's just not gonna end well. I think that's something from an evaluation perspective that people should keep in mind too, and I definitely when I evaluated Bortles, similar to when I evaluated Carson Wentz, I saw someone who. Anytime he felt any pressure, just after that first hit, it just spiraled down, and he regressed and regressed and regressed. And I think you've seen the NFL that both have had similar problems once they get hit a couple of times. So, as someone who watches the team and as a fan, do you think that he's salvageable as a quarterback? Uh, I don't think... He is salvageable per se. Like, I don't think there's any way you can go into next season saying, okay, I think we fixed this guy. I think you have to bring in legit competition or replace him. And what happens, happens. Like, if he comes, if he actually works next season, and I'm assuming after this disaster of the season that he's going to go back to Cali, then if he fixes himself, then that's great. But that's not something you should bank on. So I think the the big expectation should be, no, he's done. Because, I mean, can you think of any quarterback like you personally who has fallen this much and then picked themselves back up and fixed himself as much as he needs to? I could think of two, and the only two I could think of are Ryan and Tannehill. And even so, um, I think Ryan might have been injured and we didn't know it. I think that was part of why his mechanics regressed a little bit. And Tannehill, it's still a bit of a mixed bag, although he has looked better this year and he has a really, really good offensive coach. So yeah, it is hard to do. Even then I would argue that neither was as bad as Bulldogs was this year because he's looked as bad as he did his rookie season, if not worse. And by most metrics, like the football outsiders, which I'm not small enough at all to understand, but I just remember reading a few articles that he had like a bottom two to three rookie season, that quarterback ever. And he's been as bad this year as he was that year. If you had to, you're going to put on your GM hat right now, top three players on this offense moving forward, who would you take? Like, uh, okay, do you mean like you're revamping the roster and you can only keep two of the players that are currently on it? Um, I guess or you just, can say that, like, but I think in just general, like, just the three players who, moving to 2016, and we're going to do a larger GM scenario, so just okay. overall, the three players on the offense for 2016, who you feel most comfortable with moving forward? Uh, center Brandon Linder, either at center or at guard. Like, he played guard uh, throughout the um, most, like, his early career. And he got moved to center this year and was 
he he's been solid. I saw as a center can be, but he's one there. He's the only real offensive lineman that can be relied upon. Uh, and then it gets tricky after that. I'd probably still say Allen Robinson, just because you would hope that this year was a issue mentally and that he can move past it and get back to his old form. And then I'd say I'd still take Allen Hearns over Marquise Lee. Because what Alan Hearns did last year, it was no fluke. Like, he improved dramatically. And this year, he's been hampered by injuries. And he's been hurt by back QB play more than uh, Alan Robinson has. That's good insight. Uh, moving to defense, Ramsey has gotten really, really good over the course of the year. Miles Jack has been a little bit questionable. I think I saw you have the take today, or someone had the take today, that Jack and Cyprian are playing the same position. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, I think I know what tweet you're referring to, and it was that Jack should be playing the position that Cyprian is, which is strong safety. And right now, Jack is basically just playing your stereotypical 4-3 strong side linebacker position, and the snaps he's getting per game are ranging from, he only got eight snaps last week to at most, I think the most I think he's gotten in the game are 20 and he's really not being asked to do more than defend the flats and set the edge on most plays. So I think, I don't think he's impressed this season and his limited snaps, but I also don't think he's really being used in a way that he can impress because he's being used in the, the least impactful position on the, on the field. And meanwhile, I think I saw a hot take on Twitter that Cyprian could be a Pro Bowl alternate, right? Didn't make the Pro Bowl roster. Maybe he could good, be an alternate. Good God, no. <laughs> yeah. Who's worse, him or Tashawn Gibson? Uh, Deshaun Gibson. I, by, I'm surprised by, by, by how bad by, he is, by, to be honest. Yeah, by a good amount, honestly. Because Cyprian's issue is he misses tackles and he doesn't make plays. And he gets beat in coverage, but Gibson's issue is he misses tackles, he isn't making plays, he gets beat in coverage, and he has straight up taken away several turnovers this year on a defense that's biggest issue is not getting turnovers. He's been the reason they haven't had several. He's dropped uh, three, no, two that were just blatant drops that any even below average free safety should be able to convert. And then other times there's been penalties that he's taken away turnovers from. There was a, that Kansas city game where I don't know if you saw it, but Nick Foles like on punted it right to Prince. Uh, uh, I, I will butcher his last name if I try to say it, but I know you know what I'm talking about. And then Gibson just collides with him, knocks the ball right out of his hands. And that's just been the story with Gibson this year. So they both have, they both get beat a lot and are detriments to the defense, but Gibson is taking away big plays from them. So I, I take Cyprian over him by a good amount. And then you move to the front seven, and I know that there's a lot of jostling over here. Um, Malik Jackson, I think, has been pretty good. And um, Yannick Ngakwe, the defensive end that you guys took from Maryland, he's very, very good, right? But Fowler has not been quite so good. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I, a lot of people like will look at Malik's stat sheet and look at what he got paid and say he's been a disappointment. But he's been you know, co- having constant disruption all season. He gets a lot of pressure. He's very good in the run game. I think you couldn't be more pleased with the job he's done. Uh, and Gokwe, he's both gotten sacks and has several turnovers, which is big for a first-year uh, edge rusher. And he's playing a lot of snaps, too. He's basically the starter at this point. You, He could stand be better against the run, but I don't think there he could have done much more to impress. And uh, Fowler has – he got two sacks in week two, and since then he has half a sack. So that kind of tells you the story and how his season has gone. The thing with the Jaguars, though, on defense especially, is that you look at some of these names, 
And, I mean, Prince and Kamara started for a long time for the Giants. You have Jalen Ramsey. You have Telvin Smith, who I think we both agree is very good. You have Ngakwe. You have Sanderic Marks. Um, Roy Miller, I believe, is someone who's very underrated. Those are some good players. Why is the defense so bad? I don't even think the defense is bad per se. The things it's bad at, it is normally good in run defense. The thing that's bad at is making big impact plays. It's bad at uh, getting turnovers, and it's bad at getting consistent sacks. And I think the two things you can point to that being the issue is, one, a lack of pass rushers outside of Malik Jackson and Yannick Ngakwe because Fowler's been such a disappointment. Uh, Sanderic is not the pass rusher that he used to be, and they really have they, – they don't even have any defensive ends active on the game day roster behind Fowler and Ngakwe in most weeks. And then in the secondary – uh, Ramsey got uh, his first interception of the season on Sunday, and that was the in week 15. That was the first interception a Jaguars corner has had all season. So that kind of tells you the state of their ability to make plays with the ball in the air. And the secondary is the same way. Gibson has one interception, and that was all the way back in week three. Cyprian doesn't have an interception. Like the defense, it, it does good at bending and not breaking, but it will not change the game for you. And that's that's the reason they struggle. And I think that really comes down to scheme and coaching and overall a lack of, of talent at key spots like that sort of So if you were David Caldwell, well, you're better than David Caldwell. So if you took David Caldwell's job, um, what would you do this year to make this team better? Because I still don't think it's too far away from being a very good team, especially in that division. I would, my two, the, the first, like the two biggest moves I would make is uh, I would sign Tyrod Taylor because I think it's clear that Buffalo is trying to step away from him at this point. And I would hope that Miles Garrett somehow falls past Cleveland and San Francisco because that would fix the two biggest things that held back the team this season. Because it can be argued that, you know, like no one player loses games, but it can be argued that any other quarterback in the league, like starting quarterback at that position instead of Blake Bortles in some of the games this year and they at least win three to four more of the games because Blake Bortles is the sole reason they lost so many of those games. And then Miles Garrett, he would be able to put a guy opposite of Nkakwe to bring pressure, and it would take Fowler off the edge where he's proven both in college and in the NFL he's not very good at, and it would let you move him around more. So those were the two biggest moves I would make as – in terms of other free agency, I would build more on the offensive line and try to try to try to find a true running game. And I would also try to find uh, another running back and kind of walk away from Yeldon at this point. Yeah, Yeldon seems pretty ancillary to me. He's definitely not every down back. He, yeah, Yeldon has been exactly what most people thought he would be at this point. Like that 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 is low key a bigger reach than Dante Fowler was. Because he was taking over Duke Johnson and David Johnson. Like, everybody knew Fowler was going to be a top 10 pick. Nobody was saying T.J. Yeldon should be the third running back drafted. The thing with Dante Fowler, and I actually rewatched a little bit of him just because I wanted to confirm what I saw. A lot of his sacks and pressures at Florida came when he was rushing through one of the gaps. Yeah. Playing as an offensive tackle. He's not an edge player. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I said the same thing when he was coming out. The place he looked the best on was when they would stand him up in front of the center or one of the guards and blitz the sunset with him. And the only two sacks he has on the season this year and most of his pressure this season are when they stunt him inside through those A-gaps. Well, that's just the kind of player he is. 
the biggest mistake this uh, regime has made in terms of player evaluation was thinking Dante Fowler would be an every-down edge rusher. Because you can see on every Sunday, and you could even see back at Florida, that's just something he is not He's not a natural pass rusher. And it's hilarious that in back-to-back years they took a quarterback who's not a natural thrower and a defensive end who's not a natural pass rusher. But that's how you get to 2-12, and 12, I guess. And they took him over Vic Beasley, who I'm guessing they thought wasn't big enough to be sustainable as an edge rusher every day. Yeah, yeah. The most amazing thing about that was they actually turned down a trade, like it got reported after the draft that the Falcons wanted to make a trade with them so the Falcons could draft Dante Fowler because, you know, Dan Quinn was his uh, position coach at Florida one year. They were in love with him, et cetera. And so the Jaguars would have been in that seventh spot. Fowler would have gone three to the Falcons, and the draft would have gone the same exact way, and then the Jaguars would have taken Beasley because he was a number two edge rusher that year. They turned down that trade. They turned down more picks and a chance to take Vic Beasley and took Fowler. That, that that is the textbook definition of hanging it. Um, that, that they they hanks the hell out of that. Pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> so uh, we only have two more weeks in the season. Do you only have divisional games left? I don't remember. Yeah, they have uh, the Titans this Saturday and then the Colts next week. So you've played a lot of teams this year. Which team that you played do you think is the best team that you played? The best team they've played this year, I'd say. The Ravens are definitely up there, more so on defense, because uh, Flacco specifically played a really bad game against the Jaguars. Um, the Lions were they were they were a stingy team, and I think they've shown that they've shown that this year. Uh, it was kind of hard to get a tell for the Chiefs and Broncos because neither one had their starting quarterback in, and so. I don't know. Other than the Ravens, I'd say probably the Raiders. But then just looking at the rest of the Jaguars' schedule, it's not very good teams. You know, it's the AFC South, it's the Bears, it's, you know, the Chargers and the Bills. So it'd probably come down to the Raiders, or Raiders or Ravens. The AFC South is interesting to me because we still don't really know what's going to happen, and the Colts, Texans, and Titans are all competing. What did you think about all of those teams this year? Are they all just terrible? I think they're all right along that uh like that line of bad and average. Like I don't think any of them are good teams. Like Titans, I think are is the best bet to be a good team, and maybe the Texans with Tom Savage, because as funny as it sounds, their offense looked so much more functional with him at the helm last week. But yeah, I, I don't think any of them is a good team. But the Titans and Texans are at least somewhat close to it. And then the Colts would Andrew Luck has basically just carried them to another almost 500 season. I really don't know how they've done that. That's kind of, that's kind of something that's gone under the radar this season because I think we're all expected the Colts to be awful. The Colts have also had like a weird schedule where they beat some pretty good teams and lost to bad teams. Like They beat the Packers this year. And yeah. That surprises I mean, me a lot. They lost to the Jaguars. <laughs> they did lose to the Jaguars. That's, that's, that's pretty hard to do. Yeah, it is. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, we'll have to see what happens. I think the Titans are the best team. Uh, I think it's crazy how Malarkey has become a good coach since he left um, left Jacksonville because yeah. he's done a really good job with continuity there in Tennessee, and I lo- they have a fun offense, a legitimately fun offense. And they also invested a lot in the uh, offensive line, which I think helped them along on that side of the ball. Yeah, they're definitely a team. Like, they know what their brand is, and they – evaluated 
like uh, they've evaluated and put players in the right fits. Uh, they've taken several offensive linemen that have been key. You know, Murray was a great fit with both that scheme and the rest of the talent around them. Uh, but most importantly, they, it at least appears like they hit on the quarterback. You know, a good quarterback will make any coach like look better. I mean, Andrew Luck took Chuck Bogano to a conference championship. Do you have any thoughts on who you'd want the next Jaguars coach to be? I would, the person I prefer right now would probably be Josh McDaniels. And that really has nothing to do with, oh, we got to fix Blake Bortles and hire an offensive coach. I just think he's the best coach on the market this year. And after him, I'd probably go, I'd, I, I wouldn't be opposed to going the Tom Coughlin route because I think what this team needs is an experienced coach and a disciplinarian. And then after him, I don't hate the idea of Mike Smith as a coach, but I hate the idea of Mike Smith getting hired by this regime because to me that just seems more of a uh, let me hire a coach who I'm comfortable with, who I know from my past, who will just be another yes man to me basically. Because, you know, him and Caldwell go back to uh, Caldwell's days with the Falcons. So when his name got flowed last week, that just like smelled of a, uh, you know, Caldwell's just going to hire somebody who won't push him on any portals and other key issues. So, like, for me, it'd probably go McDaniels, then Coughlin, then Mike Smith. The only, like, coach, but at the end of the day, the only coach I'd really say no to is Kyle Shanahan. And that's not because of anything to do with Kyle as a coach, but because it's been floated the last couple of days. Like, he's going to bring his dad as team president wherever he goes. And Mike Shanahan just lives and breathes dysfunction. But then, other than that, I would really be okay with any coach at this point. Like, I... I, I have such low expectations for like, Dave Caldwell and Blake Bortles next season that who they hired this year really will not phase me as much as it did four years ago. Because I, I'm a full expectation that people are going to get fired either way at the end of the year. It's interesting. Mike Smith is someone who I think is a little bit underrated and maybe a little bit like Jack Del Rio uh, when he left the first time from Jacksonville. And he's had a pretty good comeback in Oakland. But, I mean, Mike Smith's a guy whose career-winning record is 20 games over 500, and he took his team to the playoffs four times in five years. Like, it's pretty good. I, I think Mike Smith deserves another chance. I think he'd be a really good hire for you, actually. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I think the whole thing against Mike Smith is more recency bias because how bad the Falcons were in those last two years there and the fact that the Falcons were kind of on – hard knocks and like one of Twitter's like peak years. So we all kind of got to see inside what it was like in their worst season in years. But uh, people forget like he with a rookie quarterback, they went what like 13 and three, 14 and two, something like that. Yeah. They were like a, one awful Harry Douglas play away from going to the Super Bowl. Like did he? They were, those were good teams. Mike Smith's a good coach, and he's doing a good job with Tampa's defense now. Yeah, he's really doing a good job. And you know, we make fun of guys on hard knocks, but sometimes you need the boring guy. That might yeah. be what might be perfect for the um, uh, the Jaguars because it's when people floated Coughlin's name, like Coughlin's a disciplinarian. How do you think Coughlin is going to deal with a locker room with Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack in it? Like that, that could be an interesting culture shock, but I think Smith might have the even keel to do it. Like, I don't think Smith is Jeff Fisher. He is not Jeff Fisher. So that's all I can say. Yeah. Um, about, Uh, yeah. You raise an interesting point with uh, Coughlin being a disciplinarian and meshing with the rookies. A big thing coming out, like with people airing to do the laundry since Brett Bradley's been fired. And even the weeks before that was, he was not able to mesh with a lot of the newcomers and the rookies because he was too much of a player's coach. 
Like Jalen Ramsey, he's he lost I think three or four games in his entire career at FSU. Malik Jackson just came from the Super Bowl team, and then they come here, and the coach doesn't ask really, like doesn't really push them at all. So I kind of think a disciplinarian would really be a good culture shock as opposed to what they've had this year. That would be interesting. I think the one thing you have to think about that though, and I know this, if you hire Big Daniels, you'd have to deal with this, and Belichick does this as well. If you hire a disciplinarian, that means that some players are going to go because certain players can't function in that environment and uh, for whatever reason. And McDaniels, I do think that he probably would have learned from his last experience in Denver. And I want to think that he'll be a better coach, but he had some – when he goes there, he's going to just do what Belichick did and – we haven't seen a lot of cases where that's worked yet from a coaching perspective. So I think if McDaniels goes, I think that he'd need another GM, first of all. But also, I'm just not entirely sure uh, how he would be able to portray New England's system in Jacksonville. Now, one coach I think is a little bit underrated, and I mentioned him last week on the show, and I've mentioned him on Twitter a couple of times. I think the college coach that people should be looking at is Mike McIntyre from Colorado. Um, he strikes me as someone who's now built two programs that were really bad and made them really good in three years. And I think that if he got an NFL job, he could do something similar with an NFL team and potentially even exceed expectations there. But that's just my two cents on maybe a sleeper coach. I, I agree with you though, that, um, Kyle Shanahan, if the stories about him are true, like that's going to be an ego problem. He's going to flame out like McDaniels did his first time as coach. Yeah, no, see, I even, like, tweeted yesterday, like, would Kyle Shanahan be the most or second most appealing head coaching option if he wasn't related to Mike Shanahan? Like, I, I think he would be, personally. Because, I mean, I'm a big Kyle Shanahan fan. It's just him bringing his dad anywhere near the team. That would just be an automatic crossing his name off the list to me. Yeah, although I, I wonder if you get Kyle Shanahan, maybe Kirk Cousins could work there. Kirk Cousins could be fun with Allen Robinson, but Kirk Cousins also has uh, his own posse of receivers in D.C. Yeah. right now. So we'll see what um, he does there. I'm all aboard the Tyrod train at this point. Tyrod's good. Tyrod will be fun with Robinson as well. Yeah. Are there any other draft prospects that you've been watching that have jumped out to you as being potentially interesting? Well, uh, I, I just finished my semester at school, so I haven't really got amped up in the draft uh, watching yet. But just from, you know, watching college football Saturdays, uh, I, I'm, I'm a giant Dalvin Cook fan. I think if any running back's going to go in the top ten, it should be Dalvin Cook. And I think just, like, pure talent-wise, he's better than Todd Gurley was a couple years ago. And I think he's close to what Zeke was last year. I don't think he's the full package like Zeke was, but I think he's at least he's a home run hitter and he can be a dependable workhorse. The real question with him is an injury history. So that would really be the only thing that would make me uncomfortable picking him so high. But if your team doctors feel okay with him, I would pull a trigger on him in the top 10. I'm a big Jonathan Allen fan. I, I think he can play anywhere, really, in any scheme from, you know, 4-3 under tackle to even at end, and then 3-4 as an end. And then uh, Ruben Foster from Alabama, I think he's better, if not better, he's right there where C.J. Mosley was a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think he's better than Mosley for sure. I love Ruben Foster. He's yeah. really, really good. Um, 
Last take, you're a Florida State fan. Demarcus Walker is someone who intrigues me a lot. What are your thoughts on him? The draft community really before the season kind of put Walker like down as that uber productive guy who really is not as good as the stats say. And if you said that last year, I would have actually agreed with you because a lot of his sacks were hustle and coverage sacks and he just did not look like he had great physical traits outside of strength really. But this year they've moved him around a lot more. They put him at defensive tackle and a lot more uh, pass rushing sets and he truthfully just looks much more athletic and explosive this year, and he's shown more pass rushing moves, and he's not a guy I would take in the first round and maybe not even top 50, but if there's any guy that's going to be like a nice, you know, day two value add to your defensive line rotation, it's going to be him. I, I think his best spot would probably be 4-3 in on base downs, and then you slide him inside on uh, like, I know that's kind of a cliche, but that's really been his role at FSU this year. And he, he's looked great at it. I think this year his stats are right on par where, where they were last year. But this year he is a much improved player. Yeah, he does remind me a little bit of a certain ex-New York Giant, Justin Tuck. A little bit. Yeah, I can, I can see that. He, 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 what he wins is really like with that strength off the snap like Tuck did. Yeah, that, and that's similar to what how Tuck won. So yeah. I, I think that leverage could be fun. He's going to be an interesting player to watch. I would love to have him on my team for sure. Yeah. Um, We're going to shift over to the more segment of this podcast, which is still going to be very football-related because uh, I was reminiscing a little bit today. I was thinking about how I first met a lot of people who I interact with on a regular basis, uh, including you. And I was thinking about some of the some of the old draft haunts and some of the old craziness that we got up to back in the in the mean old days of 2011 2012. Um, so we're gonna, we're going to remember some of these things. We're going to eulogize them a little bit. And the first thing I wanted to bring up was Mach One, because <laughs> um, I believe that was the first time that we ever interacted. I think that we were in a, a mock draft together. Um, I was the Chargers and you were the Jaguars. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of miss those. I think that they don't exist anymore and it kind of makes me sad. Yeah, I, that was really like where I met a lot of like people on football Twitter. Like the people I go back with the farthest, that's really where I met a lot of them. I remember I met you, I met, uh, Jeff Risden through there. I met Darren Page, uh, rest in peace through there. And, uh, the, I don't think they're around much anymore either, but I'm not, like, a big mock draft guy, especially, like, Twitter mock drafts where, you know, somebody makes, you know, like, 32 tweets detailing every pick. But in terms of how fun mock drafts can be, that was, like, easily the, the best way to do them. I, it, it would be interesting if they were still around now, but it seems like after that kind of 2014 draft, they kind of died out. I'm not even sure, like, where the dude I did on, like, where he actually is now. Yeah, I think he, uh... I think he had a family situation, if I recall correctly, so hopefully he's doing well. Uh, he was a good guy, though. But, yeah, I mean, I remember the old mock draft days. Um, I, I mean, I used to do the pick-by-pick, tweet-by-tweet mocks, and then I realized that a lot of people thought those were really annoying, so I stopped, <laughs> because they are really annoying. Um, yeah, what, what were, like, when you started off, things you did back then that you would never do now? Uh, easily that, uh, tweet out, uh, like even write scouting reports at that point, uh, tweet out notes on watching 
day three prospects and try to find sleepers like it was some big accomplishment because I used to think back then that it mattered if he, if somebody was known as your guy and now I know like that's just like a silly thing at this point. And then it also like it, it's cool though when you end up finding someone like I remember you were one of the first people I think who was talking about Shane Ray from Missouri. I think we were talking about, about a year before he was picked. Yeah. Uh, because you were watching Coney Ealy and Michael Sam, and then all of a sudden Shane Ray's on. He's been pretty good in the NFL, so it's, it is kind of fun to do that. But I, I agree that you know don't do it all the time. It gets a little bit yeah. annoying, <laughs> a little bit. And that's the easiest way to get roasted. Um, transitioning from that into the segment, I think we're talking longest about. Uh, we were both contributors on May it rest in peace, uh, draft mecca. Um, yeah. What were what are what are your thoughts looking back on Draft Mecca? Uh, I truthfully wrote one article and then forgot my password, and <laughs> Andrew Parsons was unable to reset it for me. So my tenure there died pretty quickly. But I I, I still talk to Andrew, uh, you know, and Eric and Justice all the time, really. So I'm still like in with the Draft Mecca people. But uh, in terms of my tenure at Draft Mecca, it was probably the most short-lived of any of mine anywhere ever. <laughs> well, I, I do remember one piece that you did on Draft Mecca because it wasn't a piece that existed for very long, but in the 2014 draft, there was a Google Hangout. And uh, I believe that you were the Jaguars representative for that Hangout. And I, I believe that Hangout was deleted immediately after it was put <laughs> up because it was so intelligible that no one had yeah. any idea what was going on. No, I, I remember they uh, they picked Blake Bortles, and I popped in there for three seconds and saw absolute hell was ensuring, <laughs> and I left almost immediately. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't even give an, like, an, an opinion or anything. I just popped in. I like kind of waved, and then I popped out. No, it, I remember watching that that night because I was like, I'm not going to watch ESPN. I don't need to watch like NFL Network. I'm going to watch the Draft Mecca breakdown of every single pick because that's all the information I need. And, and this was in 2014, and, uh, yeah, it was pretty – that that was a rough video cast. I just remember the next day I tried to watch it again because I was like, did I actually remember watching that? And there was a link that said that this had been deleted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that could not have uh, stayed up for anybody's uh, reputation at that point. Yeah, and then another experiment that Draft Mecca did was they opened up their Twitter account to anyone who had the password, so everyone could use it. <laughs> that was also uh, not a good idea. It was not a good idea, but at least made for an interesting TL. It did. Um, did you tweet from that account at all? I no, I couldn't even remember my password to my <laughs> actual account. So they, they no way they would trust me with the uh, password to the Twitter. Uh, I remember that there were some tweets there that were just, I don't remember any of them on top of my head, but some of them were very bad. I remember one, but it, it was not uh, not safe for work. <laughs> oh, you know, this podcast is a safe space, so go for it. It, it was just one. It was like, uh, it was outlining tips to uh, trying heroin, I think. it was. It was oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you remember, you know which one I'm talking about? Yes, I actually do know which one I, you're talking about. Oh, God. Yeah, those tweets were um not good. And I would always try to chime in and try to to help the timeline uh, shift back toward equilibrium. And then 
uh, someone else would just go off again, and 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 thus died the Mecca Twitter account. Um, Mecca podcast was pretty great too. I think overall, the one big learning experience from that is if you're going to put a site together, you have to have at least some sort of plan to do it. And I, I think everyone like thought it would be really cool to do, and then no one really wanted to follow through on it. So it's kind of a shame. But the good thing is that we've gotten good writers who were on Mecca before, like you, and you're contributing in other places now. So I think that that's pretty positive. Yeah, no, definitely. I... I, I... Like, running a, a website is crazy hard. Oh, I yeah. could never and would never want to do it. So, you know, my, my hat's off to them. But Mecca was a great uh, teaching lesson for multiple reasons. And one, I would say probably the most successful initiative that Mecca had was March Sadness. Oh, uh, which, for what it's worth, I think we should think about bringing back. Because God knows it, it needs to be brought back. Yeah. No, much sadness. Like people got upset from that. Like people were straight up like getting like personal over it. It was it was great. Trying to find the freaking bracket. Um, if I can't find it, then we're just gonna move on. But yeah, I think sometimes it was good to have. But like, do you think that having things like that is bullying? <laughs> Or do you think that it's constructive? I sort of think it's constructive to a certain degree. I don't even know if it's constructive, but I think it's a good example of don't take yourself too seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, like, if you really care what the opinion of a website of people that you don't even know in real life think about you, then your priorities are all over the place. Like, my favorite, like, Twitter quote is, the second you log out, none of those people even exist. Yeah, I ran, actually, this is a funny story. I ran into that recently because I, so I used to be a big fan of um, the X Factor TV series because I tried out for it and didn't make it, which is another funny story. And one of the bands that came out of that series is this band called Fifth Harmony, which they do like work from home and all of those songs. And I don't know if you, do you know the band at all or not really? No, not really. Yeah, so. They were five girls, and one of the girls decided to leave. And this girl is by far the best singer in the band. Um, she's very, very talented. So I, I, I fired off a tweet. I fired off a hot take about how I think she was going to be, in a year, bigger than a certain singer whose her first name starts with an A. Um, it, it might be Ariana. And who I love. Also, I love Ariana Grande. And Ariana Twitter found it. And my mentions were destroyed. Utterly, like, fire to brimstone, like, just done. And I deleted the tweet because I was like, I don't want to deal with this. And everyone stopped, and it was great. Yeah, no, I... Like, who cares? Yeah, there's been so many times, like, I've upset Twitter hives, and it's just, sometimes you just gotta press the logout button and step away from it. Yeah, I mean... Not too proud. Like, if I say something that's going to create a lot of drama and stress in my life that I just don't want to deal with, I'll just delete that. Yeah. <laughs> that's no, totally fine. Uh, like, my my thing is, like, with Twitter is, uh, like, as you know, like, Hank Jones is more like of a pseudonym for Twitter. You know, I have, like, outside of my Twitter, I have my own, like, life going on, you know, professional life. I, you know, go to school. And Hank Jones is literally an account I just made for Twitter. So I think it's easier for me to not take it as seriously. So that's when I'm glad I made it in moments like that. 
How did you pick the name? Uh, it was random as hell. I, I, I did not have a single actual explanation. <laughs> That's funny. Um, oh, I, so I'm still trying to find the March Sadness bracket. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to find it. Um, I, I will say one, one trend I don't like are the trends of people utilizing, like, um, just all of these, like, straw men. And there's a lot of drama on Twitter right now in terms of what's happening with Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey, and they've decided to skip their bowl games. And there's just a lot of different straw men, a lot of comparisons to to various other players, like Ezekiel Elliott saying that he would have played the bowl game when he left a year early, and Jalen Smith as well, um, the injury issue there. Do you have any thoughts on that entire situation? I mean, my thoughts on that are what I think, what most people think like is a logical thought. Like, there's no real point for them to play in that meaningless bowl game when the NFL is treated like a business and they're treated as a business asset in like just a business of college football. So I mean, I'm perfectly fine with Lynn Fournette and McCaffrey skipping it. Like, it, it, especially if you're considered to be a top pick. Like, people can say, "Oh, well, you can get hit and you can get hurt in any practice or any game." Well, I mean, those games matter. Like, uh. If you're not playing in, like, one of the major bowl games, then I'm not really sure what you have to gain from it if you're supposed to be a top pick. Like, I, 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 to, for the life of me, I'm trying to think of LSU. Yeah, LSU plays Louisville. Like, that's going to be an exciting game. I have no idea who Stanford plays. So I, I don't think anybody's opinion on them would change based on the bowl game. So there's no real point for them to go through with it. Like, uh, I think a guy like Shock Linwood, that Baylor running back, I, today was the first time I ever really heard the name Shock Linwood. So when I hear that guy skipping out the bowl game, that's where I raise questions. But it's not on any morality thing where, oh, you should be there for your teammates. It's more, is this the best business decision for you? But I don't think anybody, like, especially on Twitter, like, I saw somebody yesterday, it was like some draft tweeter say, where do we draw the line on players skipping out on bowl games? Are they going to always skip out on their teammates? And I'm like, dude, you're on Twitter. You're not an NFL GM. And chances are you will never, ever, 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 ever be one. You don't have to draw a line anywhere. You're not the morality police of these guys. You are on Twitter. Like, get over yourself at that point. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Um, so actually I did find the bracket and it's not letting me access the bracket. So unfortunately <laughs> we're going to have to pass on it. But if you want to find any really funny March sadness tweets, I would just like search back a couple of years with the hashtag March sadness and find them. And maybe we'll do our own March sadness this year. I think March sadness is funny. I love March sadness. Yeah. March sadness is great. I think that that was I, the best part of it. I think like Twitter now, it does a lot better itself. Uh, it does a lot better job of, having fun and making fun with each other than it did a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, I know that there are a lot of people who say, like, make Twitter great again, build a Twitter wall, um, for lack of a better term, in terms of, like, yeah. <laughs> especially draft Twitter, um, saying that it's not as good as it once was. How have you seen it evolve in terms of the content being produced, in terms of the dialogue over the years? I think the dialogue, uh, it's become a lot more jokingly and a lot more people tweeting out, I I guess, like, the term for it would be hot takes, but it's less people afraid of being wrong and people just being brutally honest. And I, th- I, I personally think, I think the a lot of the people on football Twitter have gotten closer and more comfortable with each other just as people over the years. Like, a couple of years ago, if you, you know, you retweeted somebody's old, like, 
like terrible take, then oh, like that's like slanderous, and you, you're trying to like call something with them. And you do it now, like it's funny. Like solely just retweeted a take where I said getting Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack is a miracle. I think that's hilarious. Miles Jack's been terrible. That's hilarious. If he did that in 2013, I probably would have been upset. I think that's fair. I, I think people do need to lighten up a little bit, and I think the other thing that's really helped. Um, in terms of evolving how we discuss things is I think that we've smartened up in terms of how to show our work. I think gifting is huge now. I think people weren't, let's be honest, no one was listening to those shitty Google Hangouts because they were so long and no one wanted to actually open up their computer. So now we have podcasts, we have other things that we're doing. So I think that there's definitely more ways to get all the work you want to put in out there and I think that Draft Twitter's done a really good job of it. I think part of it also is a lot of members of Draft Twitter have now met in person, uh, which hadn't happened before. I mean, I don't think I met a single person until I met Ben when we both were in New York, and that was probably December 2013, maybe early 2014. I honestly don't remember exactly when. So I definitely think that... um, that also has played a fact that a lot of us now can say that we're much more than that we're friends and much more than just people like shooting the shit on the internet. Yeah, no, that's fine. Like I I think that's been a huge thing of it. Are you? uh, I mean, I mean, just like me personally, like uh, I, I, I text people a lot more now. Like I actually had like the phone numbers of several people. I talked to more people more like, um, like, on a podcast with Eric and Ryan Day, I talk to them a lot more. I've gotten closer with several of the people I've written with or have wrote with before. I, I've met people off Twitter, so, uh, I mean, that's a great point. Like, I think as a whole, it just, we used to be, like, I know I said earlier, don't take yourself too seriously. These people don't exist, but that's how it really used to be. And, like, now I think it's a lot more of a community than it used to be. Covered a lot of ground, and we're going to end it here, I think, under an hour. Nice and speedy. But we talked about a lot of things tonight, and Hank, thanks for joining. We'll have you on again soon, for sure. All right, awesome. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. That's this week's episode of Football and More Podcast with Ethan Hammerman. Like us on iTunes, share on Twitter, share on SoundCloud, do whatever. Until next time, talk to you later.